1: Attention! You want to form a swing band. Really? A big band. Oh, I can get the arrangements. The question is, can you and your buddies cut mustard? There's a competition held in Santa Barbara called the California Battle of the Bands. Pretty amazing to hear these kids play and how they get along. Different races, different backgrounds. Music seems to transcend all that. Is
2: this band authorized? Who proved it?
1: I authorized it. We've been getting a lot of attention, and not a lot of it's good. No one will be excluded from the night of Swing. Period.
0: Friends, not to worry now, those kids aren't going anywhere,
1: trust me. Everybody knows we have to play for them because Macy and I are in the band. I can tell you the Knights of Swing
2: aren't going to be invited to the competition. You really have something going here, Mr. Miller. You're not going to let Linwood be represented by No Color Boys.
0: We have decided against allocating any funds to that band for any reason.
2: You have something worth fighting for, Herb. Don't ever forget that.
1: And that's why we gotta make sure this band happens for these kids. Let's go play. Let's show them who the Knights of Swing really are.
0: Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Pekovic, and this is episode number 426. Out now on digital is The Knights of Swing, a 1947 set musical drama that tells the story of an inclusive group of high school musicians who form a really swinging big band, encountering all matter of obstacles and prejudices along the way a handsomely crafted independent feature that has a good heart to its story and a swing to its step. The Knights of Swing is directed by Emilio Palame and David Coutel, who I'm glad to say joins me now on the podcast. And Emilio and David, I thank you so much for your time today.
2: Of course. Thank you for having us. That That was a lovely intro.
0: Oh, well, thank you very much. Emilio, I want to begin with you first. So, the whole kind of genesis of this project, or at least the the world that was presented to you, was from your producer, Roland Jackson. You and Roland have, you know, worked on material for a long time, you know, music, et cetera. Um, And the movie is somewhat based on his life experiences as a young man in a swing band in 1947. But interestingly, it wasn't necessarily a script that he gave to you to kind of spur this on. It was the song, Schoolroom um, Blues, which in the movie... It's kind of like this really kind of almost kind of bluesy uh, kind of uh, kind of like composition. There um, was that is that true? Is like does he present that song and from that song kind of spurned on this whole movie that we're going to see in front of us right now?
1: Absolutely, and I, and that's very uh, astute of you to, to to notice that. And what I would say is is that Rollins sent me "Schoolroom Blues," which is the opening song that we hear from the guys in the and Pajama Men, which is the young group of musicians who have this dream and this goal of becoming this big band. Yeah. And so that was a song he wrote, actually, in 1957. And he sent me the lead sheet uh, in uh, February of 2018. And he said, uh, what do you think of this? And what do you think we can do with this? Well, I loved it immediately. It was blues oriented. It was, it was my passion for the kind of the, the the old school swing of of Count Basie. I did an orchestration and arrangement of it for him. He absolutely loved it. And from there, we started collecting a few tunes, You Gotta Have a Dream, A Love Is Ours Tonight. And I I just kept arranging them in this 40s style. And he and then he just did his thing, which Roland does so well. He started extrapolating on on themes of uh, what the Knights of Swing could actually be about, and then he wrote, started writing the script uh, at that point, and uh, the rest is history. Really.
0: So, David, it's really interesting. Uh, initially, what was to be the Knights of Swing was supposed to be like a ten-part series, right? And then COVID hits. And now you guys have to kind of adapt to make it a feature film. What's that process like? Because what I understand was like kind of like two episodes were already kind of shot. Um, but at that point, you guys are like, okay, we have gotta make a feature film out of this. What's that process like adapting a TV series, well, what was to be a TV series to a feature in the middle of actually filming the TV series?
2: Um well, the 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 good news is that we shot the pilot, we shot one episode. Um and they shopped it around, and Roland realized that he would rather fund a feature film rather than trying to fund a series. Um, and there's a lot of factors involved for that decision. Um, and Emilio, originally, I was the first AD for the pilot episode. I was mm-hmm. not the director. I was not the director with Emilio. And um, Emilio reached out to me and asked me, like, "Hey, David, we want to turn this into a feature film." Um, can you help us with it? Can you help be part of the writing process? Can you, um, and then also like direct alongside me? And I was like, yeah, sure. Of course. I love, I love the music. I love the story. Um, you know, it's my, it's my first feature film as a director, you know? Um, and so it, the process was, uh, actually very grueling. (laughs) Um, Emilio and I spent many nights uh, over deep quarantine, like hard COVID quarantine, like Mm -hmm. when it was all started, um, kind of reading the 10 episodes and then basically sifting through them of like, what was like, what was the gold and what we needed to tell Rollins original ideas um, and really, and really kind of like take the characters that we liked, take the arcs and themes that we liked, Take the music that we like, because there's songs that are in the series that never ma- even made it into the movie mm-hmm. um, because the series allows you, you know so much more time. Yeah. Um, and it, so it, it was a rather complicated process, but the, like the we didn't exactly have to do it while uh, making the series. What we did have to do is that we had to figure out how do we keep what we shot, which is like the first 40 minutes of the movie, How do we keep what we shot to save on cost and to save on time and extrapolate off that first 40 minutes with the rest of the series that is the movie? Um, And so it was, like I said, Amelia and I taught going back and forth. And I had like a whiteboard with like all of the story beats and like we'd walk through them and, um, you know, coming up with new stuff because we had to we had to expedite certain arcs and we had to expedite certain themes because we only have so much time. Um, And Emilio and I, we really kind of, you know, worked in tandem to figure out what was the most important, what was the least important. And, you know, we ultimately came up with what we got, which, you know, uh, really stoked about.
0: And it, to me, it seems very seamless because that first forty minutes of the pilot essentially is the first act, right, of your movie.
2: Yeah,
0: um, and that's exactly. just like like any other film. You yeah, have the first act, and it kind of it rolls along. Like when I found when I found out about the whole thing about it being initially a serial, I was like, oh, okay, um, because sometimes you can watch productions like that, and you could tell where certain edits are made, et cetera. But here, I thought it came across really well done. So I think the, the, the adaptation to a feature film is like really, really well done here. Um, so, Emilio, a big part of the movie is, of course, the music. Essentially... The the Knights of Swing are a band in the film. You actually have to put together a band, um, and you've got like just great kind of musicians there, like Karen Baker and um, uh, Jeremy Staple, and in the three Bs with uh, Emily, Emily Goglia. Um, it's, but I imagine casting this would have been a real a process because you have to find talented musicians, you have to make sure that they can act, and you have to also make sure that they can put off being look, looking young enough to play like high schools and look from Greece all the way up to like, you know, Chile, you know, people in their 20s are playing high schools. There's no big thing, but you have to get the trifecta there. How hard was it to try to get that trifecta together and get the cast that you have today? Because Amelia, i got to say the cast in the film do a fantastic job with all facets in there.
1: Well, it was an interesting process because there's two aspects of it. The, the first thing was to find... The six guys that fit to be the jammed pajama men, who become the the core group that uh, elicit uh, Mister Miller's uh, tutelage to be the the band director, right? There, there's those six guys, but there's also the three Bs, mm-hmm. and the three Bs come through uh, a longtime friend of mine, Darlene Coldenhoven. Uh, who did all the orchestration of the choir. Uh, I, I, I would say not orchestration, but the arrangements of the choir of sister act, both sister act movies. All right. So she, she, and, and, and she and I have worked together for almost 35 years or, or a little bit more. So when I called her, she said, well, one of my students, Olivia Desse, who plays Barb, uh, and uh, Emily Golia, who plays Bev and Ivana, were all connected to her in terms of uh, the work that she's done as an, a, a vocal arranger. So she said, I'm gonna put these three girls together. And then that that's where that casting came together, as far as those three girls. Uh, and then overall for all the other actors, um, there's a story for each and every one of them. And I, I don't know if we have time to go through that now, but uh. well, I like,
0: I like to know about Richard Neal because I've seen him in movies before. I've, I've reviewed movies with him in it. my number one thing about Richard that's really impressive to me is his voice. He's got such a rich timber voice. Um, and I think it really comes across as a very kind of like caring, but authoritative kind of like um, teacher very much in the kind of like Mr. Holland's opus kind of, kind of mold of um, of kind of like very kind of um role model teachers, but like, you know, very kind of firm. He's a band leader. He's on top of everything. What was it like getting him to play the part of uh, Mr. Miller in the movie?
1: Well, it's, it's really interesting because Richard and I worked on a feature film called Prodigy.
0: Yes, I know Prodigy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I was on set with him for many days and I watched how what a fantastic actor he was in handling, because in Prodigy, he played the psychotherapist who had to handle a great deal of dialogue. And, and it made me aware of what a great actor this guy is. And I, I felt like he could handle anything. And so um, Roland, our executive producer, watched Prodigy. And uh, we talked about our symmetry together, working together, because uh, we're on screen a lot uh, in, in Prodigy. And we became great friends because of Prodigy. And he said, well, why don't you call Richard, Richard, Richard Neal to be the lead and play Mr. Miller. And I said, well, I thought about it for about seven seconds. And I said, yeah, this guy's great. Let's do this. And so that's that's how uh, Richard got cast in the movie. But I can tell you that so many of the other people that are in the the story have their own uh, genesis with me. As far as my relationship with them as actors, because uh, Jeremy Staple, for example, uh, who we just are so proud of of what he did with the movie uh, as a young uh, black actor and, and a longtime friend, and I was in class with him with a uh, a woman who uh, who's cast me in several movies. Her name is Phaedra Harris. And she ran an audition group. And I was one of two white actors with 24 different black actors. And Jeremy was one of them. And I worked with that group for about six years. And uh, I I got to do scenes with Jeremy over and over and over. And we had this relationship and this fun uh, sense between the two of us. So when it came time to casting Conrad, I thought, well, Jeremy's perfect. My, my relationship with Richard from Prodigy was that. My, um, my relationship with Amanda Lamberti, who plays Mrs. Barluski, was from a workshop that I worked with for five years uh, in that. Uh, my relationship with Kern uh, Barker, who plays our lead actor, came because I was his dad's jazz piano teacher. And I saw his picture and I said, Well, who's this young, handsome guy? Can he act? blah 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 going forward Kyle DeCamp, Camp uh who plays uh Nolan was uh on the roster with Richard Neal with his agent and, and and um uh Christopher Parker who plays our uh our trumpet player who is like a problem his his manager is my manager and she said oh you gotta get this guy in the movie and the biggest key I would say um matt was getting greg sadler Mm. the guy who plays our drummer because when you're when you're filming stuff and you need to have someone who's both an actor and a musician portray this persona and what greg was able to do he learned every 16th note of the performances that we recorded for the nights of swing. And when we filmed it, we're blasted the tracks. And he, if, if a guy who's acting is not hitting the drums and like really making it happen, there's no way you would have believed that that's what was happening. And he was so good at it. And, and the same for the drummer who played with the Wilson high Raiders, these guys learned, every single note of, because i was such a stickler as a musician yeah. to be you know what i mean to want this to be accurate i've seen enough movies matt where the stuff doesn't match and it doesn't fit and it's not like a guy's playing a guitar lick and it's going up and the music is going down Yeah, yeah, right it's crazy right so i i was very very uh adamant about making sure that our movie was musically accurate as a musician myself.
0: And just on that note, David, you know, what's really interesting about the film is that, and you have a quote about the movie, which is, um, "It's this movie is about having the dream and putting in the hard work to make it work. And what's really great about this film, The Nights of Swing, is that sometimes in movies that deal with music, it can be a kind of tropic thing where people just find perfection straight away with their instrument, or something from within them can just create like a hit song out of nowhere, this movie shows the practices, it shows the repetition, it shows the performances that are getting better and better and better. So when they finally do hit that last kind of like battle of the band's performance, you know by that time they're a well-oiled machine. How cool was it to show that process, that evolution, that these people, this group of kids would come together not only as musicians but as people as well? Because I think that's a really kind of, essential kind of point to the whole movie um
2: yeah i you know when it when it comes to the like the first and foremost thing is like when it came to the music um that um, that is like emilio palame like king he king of music all of the orchestrations him um my my role was really kind of how do I tell us visually um Mm. and like My, my job was like, how do I tell this visually? Because I am not uh, a music person per se. Like I don't play any instruments. I don't, I never have. I am, uh, uh, I'm a visual person. And so my job was like, okay, how do I show these kids practicing? And how do I show these kids this evolution that you're talking about? Um, And it really just came down to a story, like just down to the story of like, what has happened, you know? And like for me, it was important because it needed to be believable because like you said, something like, you know, the main character picks up a microphone and all of a sudden they have the number one hit record in the movie, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Ah. Um, it was, it was a very like, and that kind of came, the truth of that came from Roland's story where Roland did this in the 1940s or 1950s. Um, and he went through that process and it was evident in the original series that these kids progressively got better as, as the series went along. And so uh, it, it, for me, it was kind of visually showcasing that and visually showcasing like the kids practicing the band room, like where, where the, where all the hard work goes in, you know, there's a lot of, the movie has a lot of themes of like putting in the work, putting in the effort, a, like pursuing your dreams um, and, and it's through all aspects of the kids and you kind of have some antithesis uh, of the kids as like Elliot, for example, he, he's really good, but he doesn't necessarily want to put in the effort of the hard work and that ultimately gets the best of him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think we all, we all kind of um, uh, struggle with that in many different degrees. I find that we all relate to certain people in the band, um when we're watching it and kind of to kind of talk about the cast thing what was really interesting is you know Emilio did a phenomenal job casting the movie but like Jeremy uh Staples he has no idea how to play the trombone he was not a musician you know he was taught how to play trombone by Jordan Wainwright who was the female trombone player so any of the kids that really did not have a speaking role in the band were like true musicians um and most and most of the people who were speaking roles were like 50 50 or like 80 20 like acting to to musician you know the three b's they're all like professional singers so it's easy for them and whatnot um but yeah the, like the correlation of like the knights of swing and being like a lot of hard work is like this took three years to make this was my first movie and i saw the relationship of like what these kids are trying to do with what i was trying to do um, with, like, trying to pursue your dreams because it's been my dream um, and it's been, like, my goal to do this, uh, you know, to make movies and to, to tell stories and try and hopefully uh, enlighten people and also, like, brighten hearts because that's the really fun part about the movie for me is how uh, bright it is and how, you know, it's a very family-friendly film that has a serious message but is enjoyable to watch.
0: The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by 80s Tees. 80s Tees is an online retailer of licensed t-shirts and pop culture gear from your favorite movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, comic books and musicians. Celebrate your inner 80s nerd and click on the link in the show notes below to get the raddest retro t-shirts delivered to your door. The Matt's Movie Reviews channel is brought to you by Loot Crate. Founded in 2012, Loot Crate is the worldwide leader in fan subscription boxes. Loot Crate partners with industry leaders in entertainment, gaming, sports, and pop culture to deliver monthly themed crates, produce interactive experiences and digital content, and film original video productions. No matter what you geek out about, Loot Crate has a subscription box for you. To get your very own exclusive collectibles, apparel, and gear delivered to your door, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below.
1: Uh, What I I wanted to say as far as this whole process is concerned, is, is that when we started to cast the movie, it the question was, do we go with actor first, musician second, mm-hmm. or do we go with musician first, actor second? And that flip-flopped for several of the characters because some of them, our main characters, interestingly enough, are actors first and musician second, except for uh, our drummer, Greg Sadler. He's a musician first, but he's also an actor and he's a very successful actor. He's done a whole bunch of commercials and, and has been very successful in his acting career. But if he wasn't the musician that he was and is, it wouldn't have worked. That was the key for making the realism of the band work if that makes sense
0: it does it does and it, and it works so well in the movie as well because you know you were saying just before david about how um uh looking at my cast list here about how jeremy didn't know how to play his instrument i wouldn't have guessed that because he did such a great job at it um yeah, right before. like it just it, it just was really kind of smooth Like uh, i think that's something like a word that he could really put um to to context in regards to the performances in regards to acting, musicianship, et cetera. Amelia, I want to ask you a question in regards to the time period of that time and yourself being, a, you know, I'm sure a uh, historian of that time period of music, et cetera. So 1947, post-World War II, this is before kind of like rock and roll started off in the 50s, before even the boom of TV, I think TV like really just really came into the fore like in the mid-50s, maybe early 50s or so. Um, mm-hmm. And what's really interesting as well is that when it came to World War II, that really had a big impact on spring music because, number one, not only was spring music this soundtrack of that era, of The Greatest Generation, but, number two, a lot of musicians and band leaders fought in the war. And the movie itself references um, Glenn Miller, who you know, one of the great big band leaders and, and trumpeters died during the war. Like um, from um, one performance to the next, I think he got shot um, while while flying. Um, like in, in an airplane, he got shot down and he died that way. Um, how much of a big impact did World War II have on swing music as a whole, especially in regards to the loss of so many big band leaders, so many musicians? Did did and when also when musicians come back, did they? Go back into um, doing, um, going to the big bands was the war too much for him um, because the film also references PTSD with refer- refer- uh, returning soldiers as well. I mean, it's just such a fascinating kind of time period um, in that time, especially in regards to swing music at that time.
1: Well, I, I think all your points are really well taken, Matt, and I appreciate your insight into what actually we're talking about in this film because it's really important that. Even though we've created a film that's very entertaining, it does touch on all of the issues that you just mentioned. And one of those things, as far as uh, that era is concerned, is. Um, yes, Glenn Miller. and Spoiler alert. Glenn Miller did die during the midst of this. And uh, right before our movie takes place. There were all female big bands because the men were engaged over in the uh, the European uh, conflict and and with with Germany. And um, there was an issue with racism in 1947 with not only in schools but you know just in general where there were whites and black, Uh, restrooms where it was whites only blacks only drinking fountains that were that way. So we tried to touch on all of these aspects and what, what I really appreciated that you mentioned, Matt, was that PTSD was a big problem. And we try to illuminate that without being heavy handed with, with, with what our lead characters, older brother is going through. And how they resolve their conflict with one another is like he he had to look at Gifford. Uh, Wesley, who's the older brother, had to look at Gifford and say, you know, you were just here stateside. You had no idea what I went through. You had no idea what I witnessed and what I heard. And that and that when he's playing the saxophone and it, to him, it's it's the the irate, the air raid uh, siren. And how that resonated with him at that time and and how difficult it was for people during that period of time post World War II to deal with what happened to them, what happened to their families and what happened with music during that time. Because because big bands were trying to make people forget the, the horror. They were I mean, we show it in our Christmas dance. We show it how people are jitterbugging and they're happening and they're they're, they're feeling great of all this against a backdrop of this post uh, World War II feeling that that really had a lot of people crushed because they lost family members just like in our movie and they and they uh, I mean the scene with Mrs. Barlutsky and uh, when Sergeant Washington delivers the notice that their son Buddy had died and I'm not going to be a a complete spoiler alert here, but that scene is really powerful to me because right. I I mean, you felt it right Matt? I mean, when when you see her anguish of the thought of, of losing her son and I won't give it away the way she did is all, all the things that we want to eliminate in this movie. And I, and I think, um, it's going to touch people's hearts, and, and I really hope it does, not only musically, uh, emotionally, psychologically, and, you know, in some way spiritually, because we do talk about the power of prayer in the movie. Not not from just a, a Christian standpoint, just from, you know, putting a thought out there to the universe and saying, you know, um, what was that that you, your friend said to, to pray about, like out of them. What was that? You know, to put good thoughts out in the universe and and receive the results of that. And that's those are all the things that we want to say in The Nights of Swing. So David, I all-
0: no, not at all, not at all. And, David, just to, to continue on with that, um, you definitely have your villains in the movie, um, people in the film, whose um motivations I'd like just really steep down into a deep hatred. But what's also kind of very impactful in regards to the film and in regard to the scene that you just mentioned before, Emilio, is that a lot of times there is a root to the cause of their pain that is presented in the film. And not only that doesn't make them human, but it also leaves open the path for redemption as well for a lot of characters. Um, you mentioned before Emilio about about the, the prayers, um, you know, to love people unconditionally, to pray for your enemies. What I think is so great about that in the context of the movie set in 947 is that, you know, there is no Twitter, there is no cancelling, there is no online mob. It gives a moment for the issues to breathe. It gives a moment for people to reflect. And it gives moment to people to redeem themselves. And I think that's a real important issue, David, that's um, in the movie that you have.
2: I, um, you know, it's it's nice that you bring that up because I've mentioned this before, Um one of the big themes of the movie when we were writing it and when, and breaking it down as I discovered that the movie is a, uh, it's a, an ideology of allowing people to change mm. and having, and having room for forgiveness and having room for people to evolve and tell themselves, you know What? What I did was wrong. What I said was wrong, and I'm sorry I said and did those things. And in return, the people in the movie that were wronged by this person have the opportunity to forgive and to move on and to grow and to be stronger together. And I and and I think that's like definitely something that like I see in today's culture is that when someone does something wrong, we're very quick to uh, we're very quick to that. There's a no tolerance, no forgiveness, no nothing. Um, And it's a, it's, I think we should definitely be calling people out for when they do something wrong and we should definitely be, you know, sounding the horn when people are hurting one another or when they are causing an injustice to happen. Um, But in return, If those people turn around, change their actions and ultimately express their condolences and like and like they apologize, then there should be room to allow these people to coexist again with with, you know, with with what's going on. And in the movie, you know, our main villain, um, she is uh, she's racist. She wants to stop the band. Um, she lets her own personal prejudices guide her and lead her. And she ultimately learns that, you know, she ultimately learns that her way of thinking isn't right because of various things that happen in the movie. And, um, it allows herself to kind of reflect and be like, like, oh, oh, like, oh dang, like I'm in the wrong. And it takes a lot of courage for someone to say that, like I'm in the wrong, because sometimes when people are called out, they even get more entrenched in their thoughts because they're like, I'm not wrong. You know, I'm right. And this, this allows, this allows for that like vulnerability to happen where you see Mrs. Barlowski being confronted by the other villains and being like, what do you mean you're different? like, what do you mean you change? Like, we don't care what, you know, and she, and she gets that rejection from those peoples that she found ally with, but then she ultimately finds comfort in her family and she finds comfort in the knights of swing because they ultimately were the the good in the society that she was living in. That like she needed to overcome her prejudice, you know. And so it's it's like that the whole theme of forgiveness and like loving your like loving one another unconditionally. Um, it's 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 a big through line for for it because I strongly feel that we should be more open to allowing people to change and apologize and forgive because there is, we're we're in a, we're in a world today where there's a lot less middle ground, like there's less and less middle ground. And if without middle ground, then only heartache and headache can come. You know, like if there's no way to to reconcile with those who have done you wrong, or reconcile with those who think differently, um, then there's literally no hope. You know, for for us getting along, yeah. There's literally no hope, and so and so. This movie is an aspect of like you know we should uh, like we should allow ourselves to forgive those people who wrong us. Like we know they're in the wrong, but if they are expressing themselves truthfully. That they are sorry, then we need to reciprocate that.
0: Yes, you know. Definitely. It's just about showing grace in there and to keep it in kind of like the context of the big band. Sometimes people might be two steps behind, but give them some time and they'll find their rhythm and then everything will be just all right. And for <laughs> and for everyone listening right now, the nights of swing available now on digital. You can actually go to knightsofswing.com. You go there, and then you can find the links to where you can rent uh, this movie. I think I really highly recommend people check out *Nights of Swing*. You'll love the music, you'll love the performances, you'll love the story. To me, this is a movie that we had a real good pulsating heart in the centre of it. And I think really that the, the beat of the drums and the melody and the rhythms and everything else kind of just really pushed it along and I really enjoyed this film very much and I think it's a film that's really relevant for a lot of people today. And um Emilio and David, I thank you so very much for your time today. Congratulations on moving. Hopefully we can talk again in the future with any future projects But it's been a pleasure to talk to you both today.
1: Thank you Thank you. Oh, so. yeah. thank you.